0: Welcome to Connections Podcast on Healthy Gambling and Gaming. I'm co-host Tana Russell, Assistant Director with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling.
1: And I'm co-host Julie Hines, Executive Director with the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling. We're full of connections, health, and hope.
0: Our goal is to provide powerful and empowering podcasts that fit into your busy lives, making the most of timely information and fun conversations. So we are super excited to finally record this first podcast episode, and we're jumping in by telling everyone who we are, what we do, about our agencies, about ourselves. You may have never heard of us. That's okay.
1: You probably never heard of us. Let's be real, folks. I mean, why are we adding another podcast to the world, Tana? Why did we decide to do this? Tana and I have been lucky enough to have worked together for the last few months. We banter around this idea about doing a podcast and thought, hey, why not?
0: Yeah, And I do, I am sort of a connoisseur of podcasts, but never produced one quite like this before. Uh, And I love listening to some of the gambling recovery podcasts that are out there. And uh, there needs to be more. We want more dialogue about this. We We want more information getting out about it.
1: It's true. There's, you know, there's some great podcasts out there, right. That talk about recovery and gambling. And yet we don't really talk about this as far as like healthy gaming and gambling. What are other issues going on in the world of video gaming and gambling that maybe we can bring to light?
0: That's right. And we are not for or against gambling. What we are is very, very for making sure that people who need help get it.
1: Our first guests, our very first guest, Tana, I'm so excited that we have Maureen Greeley, Executive Director of the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling, and Jeff Marada, Board Member of the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling. We're having Maureen and Jeff join us because, well, they're two nationally and internationally known experts in the field. They have a ton of experience with our councils, and they're also really awesome people.
0: That's right. They have been around doing this work for years and years and years. They know all the history. They know all the who's who and the what's what. And really looking forward to you all getting to hear from them and a little, uh, some fun facts you probably have never heard
1: before. Ooh, fun facts. You're teasing them with the facts.
0: So first I want to introduce Maureen. Maureen Greeley, she is the executive director of the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling. Maureen, you joined, it'll be 15 years next year, right?
2: It will be 15 years in 2021 as director, but I've actually worked with the organization since 1998, so the 23 years coming up. Wow.
0: And do you want to give us a little bit more about your background that led to ECPG and your work you've done?
2: Happy to. You know, I think no one in this field probably grew up dreaming that someday they become the director of a council on problem gambling. I don't think it <laughs> as we were growing up, we even realized such an animal existed and animals really were my first love. And that's where I went, um, actually started out working in the arts and in conservation and ended out at the San Diego Zoo which doesn't sound like it would bring me here, but because of that, I began working with wolves. I happened to be a big dog fan. And that brought me up to Washington where I became the director of Wolf Haven International, which is a wolf sanctuary here, just outside of Olympia, Washington in Nino. And from there, I went to, of all places, the Washington State Lottery as their director of communications And my second day there, I walked into the director and said, you know, if I'm going to be working on communications and public relations and working with winners, that's great. But I really also need to do something to help people who might have a problem. We were very fortunate at the time to have a wonderful director who said, go and do some research, tell me what you need. And we started our first problem gambling liaison to what was then the Washington State Council on Problem Gambling, now the Evergreen Council. When I left the lottery in 2004, after six years, I opened my own business and the council became my very first client doing public relations and development and fundraising for small nonprofits. And two years later, they asked me to become their director. So kind of an interesting trip, but that's what led me here. That's awesome.
0: And didn't you say once when you worked at the lottery, you were one of the people that gave the giant oversized checks?
2: That was me. I was the person. So we actually had a special winner's room. And when people came in to collect their big prizes, we had balloons and parties and big checks. But we also had for them a list of responsible gaming things such as before you take this big check, please go talk to a financial advisor, please go talk to an attorney, because when somebody suddenly finds themselves with that kind of money, we wanted to make sure that people were able to have some assistance and some advice on what to do with that kind of a windfall.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I was, first I was thinking of Googling Maureen Greeley giant lottery uh, check. <laughs> because I feel like there's <laughs> gotta be some images out there for that, but then you went down the road of like responsible gambling and it makes sense that, that you hadn't made those connections then.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure everybody does, but you know, the lottery industry is now one that is in the forefront of leadership around making sure that responsible gaming initiatives are put in place. So um, we've come a long way since I started there in 1998, but it's been it's been good to see, the industry really takes some leadership roles, so
1: mm-hmm. awesome well, thanks, Maureen and uh, I have the honor of just introducing Dr. Jeff Murata, who has been somebody who 's been a mentor to me over the years uh, when I first got to Oregon in two thousand and two. Jeff was the administrator of problem gambling services in Oregon and oversaw all of the publicly funded services and has a really rich background in this field, stemming from his um, his origins in. Nevada in Reno and has been doing a lot of consulting work across the nation and is not only a researcher, a former clinician, but just a, a renowned expert in this field and a good soul. So um, Jeff, I, I just want to kind of get a little bit more information about you and, and problem gambling services, the, the kind of that you're a little, a little more of your background.
3: Sure. Well, thanks, Julie, for all those nice words. Yeah, we go back quite some time. I remember when you first came to Oregon and got a job in uh, being assigned problem gambling prevention, uh, a new field for you, and that was, what, a long, long time ago now, tw- uh, almost 20 years. And um, you came to the field with uh, so much enthusiasm and uh, kind of quickly started um, soaking up as much knowledge around problem gambling as you could and became a leader in Oregon around the problem gambling prevention field in just a matter of. Um, Oh gosh! Probably within a year, and, and uh, continue to grow until you had uh, national influence. So
1: okay, thanks. Really Jeff, appreciate this all is the your work. introduction. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I pretty much consider myself a reflection of you. So any achievements you have, I see that as a, pretty much well, feeding my Well, I am Robert, identity. and you
1: are glue. So whatever you say bounces <laughs> off of me and sticks to you. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I, when I talk about myself and problem gambling, I go way, way back. Um, my father was a problem gambler, and so problem gambling has been a part of my life ever since I was a really a small child. Uh, I didn't think I was going to devote my entire professional career to it at that time. That happened much later. I was uh, in a clinical psychology program, studying, um, specializing in actually older adults in geropsychology, and then I uh, decided that that wasn't quite a good fit for me. And I did an addictions rotation, really liked working with folks that were struggling with uh, addictions and, and the type of work that's done with, um, um, folks that, that have those struggles. And I went to my advisor and my advisor said, you know, you ought to look at this problem gambling, um, uh, field. It's, uh, if you like addictions, you know, there's going to be more and more done. Uh, the industry is going to have to start addressing this issue. And, um, the academic field is going to have to start taking notice the way that gambling's taken off and and that is that was in the uh, 80s and so from there i switched i dropped my dissertation i picked up a brand new one on recovery from uh, problem gambling with and without treatment um, got a lot of notoriety around the work i was doing in this natural recovery angle and uh, worked for the institute for kind of a postdoc i uh, worked for the institute for the study of gambling and commercial gaming uh, was very interested in public health approaches to um, dealing with, with gambling issues and from a societal level, and got an opportunity in Oregon to oversee the system, which was one of the best funded problem gambling systems in the country at the time. So I was able to, it was a really great opportunity. I was able to take work that I was doing at the Institute um, from a theoretical level and put it into practice in, in Oregon. Um, and really haven't been looking back ever since and promoting this uh, more public health perspective toward uh, dealing with this issue.
1: That's awesome. And Oregon is so fortunate to have you. And that kind of brings us around to the origins of, of, of our councils. So can you talk a little bit as a historian? You've been on the Oregon Council uh, on Problem Gambling now for how many years, Jeff?
3: Well, I started working with them immediately upon my arrival in Oregon, which was in 2000. Um, I can't recall the exact date when I started serving as a board member. Um, I was serving kind of ex-officio member for, for some time because I was one of the, um, I think we decided just to have some separation between the state system and then the, this, the nonprofit world of the council. But the, the council is really a, has been a vital organization in Oregon. Um, they were there at the very beginning in 1993, Uh, Oregon passed legislation that allowed the Oregon lottery to introduce video um, poker, uh, which was a big deal. And at that time um, some money got set aside to address uh, um, gambling addiction and the council um, formed kind of out of this need to have some type of body that was kind of steering the direction of, these new funds to develop a gambling treatment system. And so originally they were, they were formed as the Oregon Gambling Addiction Treatment Foundation um, out of that spirit of needing to assemble uh, very rapidly a gambling treatment system with, the, with this new um, video lottery money. Uh, and so they functioned in that regard for some time. Um, then in oh, several years later, They decided to, they um, petitioned to become a affiliate to the National Council, changed their names to the uh, Oregon Council on Problem Gambling. Um, That happened in 2008 Uh, and have been um, serving as the affiliate for, for that group for some time.
0: Each council kind of seems to have its own niche strength or thing that it's known for. What is it the OCPG is most known for or it's one of its major strengths?
3: Well, one of the interesting things about the um, Oregon Council on Problem Gambling is it's the only council I know of that has followed the funding model that it has. And what the Oregon Council has done to, from from really almost its origins, aside from when it, well, initially it was in the treatment field. uh, It left the treatment field when I got my job. Um, That's how I got my job. They moved the money from the council. They put it, they gave it to uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. And um, since then, what the council has done is been the kind of producer of these statewide studies. So they went out and they solicited funds from various different donors, um, uh, some of the tribal casinos, uh, the lottery, um, some uh, other players in the gaming field, uh, such as some of the vendors, IGT and and others, and have, basically sponsored these research projects. And what they've, and part of that sponsorship was um, having this 15% uh, fee, if you will. And that 15% uh, fee uh, paid for the basic operating of the council, which is really a kind of a shoestring budget. But that's how the the council's budget operated um, since 2000 is basically kind of sponsoring studies and and then, uh, having a kind of fee attached to, to it. So it's produced a number of studies, I'd say, oh, five, six, seven uh, different studies over the, the course of his lifetime.
1: That's awesome. I was just thinking about Evergreen Council and uh, looking up north all these years and seeing all the great work that's been going on up there. Just, a, I would say, probably one of a couple of leaders in the entire country as far as what we're looking at with councils, um, just a real beacon of what to do. And Maureen, what would you say would be like the top two or three things that you would say would set you apart as as a council in this country?
2: Well, first, thank you. Um, That's quite a compliment because as you know, there are about 33 councils across the country that are affiliates of the National Council on Problem Gambling. And so that means a lot to us that you see us in that respect. I think we're very fortunate in that since the council began in 1991 we have had some real pioneers and leaders in the field from the very beginning including Dr. Charles Maurer. Chuck Maurer um, is now retired but when he began, kind of like Jeff, he was exploring many fields in psychology and he was from Ohio and got to know Dr. Julian Tabor who encouraged him to become involved with treatment of what they then called pathological gamblers. That's now changed to disordered gambling or gambling disorder. And they were involved at the Brexville Veterans Administration, which is where Dr. Robert Custer began the gambling addiction program. So we had people like Chuck who had a lot of passion and saw a need that really founded our organization. And much of the work back in the early 1990s was about advocacy and awareness, and that has not died down at all. In fact, it's probably gotten stronger and stronger over the years. But we have had a great board of directors, um, different people from different areas and walks of whether they're recovery community members or clinical folks or gaming industry folks who really sit down together and have helped us create a really holistic view of a public health model that looks at everything from prevention and outreach and awareness to treatments and recovery. And I think some of the main areas right now that are most important is that our council was, I believe the first, if not one of the first to add gaming. So while we are the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling, we really make sure that there are programs and services to help people with addictions. Because as we all know, where there is an addiction, there are all often co-occurring issues. And sometimes that may be gaming, what we see as video gaming or internet addiction. Um, It may be other issues, substance use, tobacco, So looking at the whole person and looking at them wherever they are, whether they're not even yet aware of the issue, but maybe beginning to understand it or whether they are working on their path to recovery. So I would say that's one of the main issues. The other one we're very proud of is we, our council in 2012 began offering full support, for residential treatment for problem gambling. So if you live in Washington and you are referred by a certified problem gambling counselor in need of residential treatment, so not the outpatient treatment that has always been in the forefront and still is, you can have your treatment paid fully by our council. So we're really proud of those things.
0: So I guess we should probably let our listeners know who me and Julie are, because we haven't been with... Our agencies all that long.
1: Very true. Who are Great. we, Tana? This is an existential question. <laughs> Who are we?
2: Oh, I might have to think that on that i could go on minute. for a long, long time. <laughs> well, I guess I get to start by sharing a little bit about Tana because I'm really excited that she joined our staff almost a year ago, last September in 2019,
3: as our assistant
2: director here at the Evergreen Council. And she comes with a fascinating background. Um, She actually began her work in criminal justice and became very involved in a lot of topics related to tobacco cessation, gambling, addictions, treatment, recovery. I can tell you that since I've known her, and she's been working in our field about five years. She is a certified gambling counselor. Um, She is one of the strongest curriculum development people I have ever seen, and she understands a wide variety of topics related to gambling, including her work in opioid therapy, medicated assisted treatment, so she brings just this wonderful, rich background. She's she's young, but she has an incredible background, and I'm excited to watch her grow. And Tana, what else would you say besides you're an avid runner, you have a great husband, and you love your dog, Ayla? Um,
0: I look back on how my career started in criminal justice. I was a parole officer for about five years before um, becoming a counselor, and it's crazy how much experience I've been able to get from amazing amazing people that have um ultimately you know given me some experience and and skills that eventually led to this position it's you know it's always interesting the way things work out you don't understand it when you're in it but then you look back on it after hindsight and you're like oh that's why that happened (laughs) um well I am a very like artsy fartsy kind of creative person and one thing I actually really like creating curriculum or powerpoints and things like that because it's a bit of a creative expression for me (laughs) you know I uh do so much computer work and and stuff my entire career that where I can find a creative outlet in my work I will so that's part of the joy for me is is that creative as- aspect of developing those things. So let's learn about Julie a little bit.
3: Well, I, you know, I thought that I talked about Julie enough during my own introduction, so uh, <laughs> right, do I don't really need to go set. there anymore. We're, we're <laughs>
1: done. We're good.
3: And yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Ju- Julie has been just, a, 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 I think, a rock star in the problem gambling uh, field ever since she, she entered it. Um, you know, specializing in problem gambling prevention. And one of the things Julie did pretty early on was start looking at the the confluence of uh, gaming and, and gambling. Um, one, of the, one of the first people I started hearing talk about this um, has been Julie and, and kind of weaved it into her and in the work that she, I think, started doing here in Oregon and has really uh, continued. Um, I suspect largely that's because of her own children and the need to find out more about <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, a lot of uh, video play, but, um, but yeah, it's always been, uh, Julie's just uh, a pleasure to to kind of work with throughout these years. And, and as you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you'll get more and more of a flavor for Julie's personality and why she's kind of so neat to, to listen to and to be around. So Julie, Aww. tell us, um, how, I, I, actually, I'm not even sure. Why, how did you end up kind of looking at, at gaming as a, uh, something that was, has you know, the confluence of gaming and gambling? Because, you know, again, you're one of the first persons I heard really talk about it. And that, that was way, way back.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of it comes from sort of origins in public health world. So before coming to the field in problem gambling, I was a registered dietitian. I still keep my license, although I don't practice, so don't ask me anything. But um, as far as like looking at the you know, current conditions, the, the risk factors, the protective factors for a lot of these behaviors, especially behavioral issues such as eating disorders, are really strongly connected. So if you think about uh, problem gambling, for example, and you think about eating disorders, there is a situation in which you realize that it's not about abstinence. You can't not eat, and you uh, in gambling. There's this sort of where's where is there the the line between a problem and not a problem? And for alcohol use disorder and you know substance use disorder, people say, okay, well maybe abstinence is the best approach. I know that there's a whole continuum of services and harm reduction there, which we'll probably get into at some point with our guests of the podcast, but. All that being said is realizing that the world of video gaming uh, probably came from Dr. Mark Griffiths and some other researchers uh, looking at this very, very early on. I would say in the 1990s, I believe Mark Griffiths was looking at this and some other researchers were looking at video gaming addiction and we see the parallels, right? I mean, we see that people who have, uh, and we'll we'll explore a lot of this during our podcast, so I won't get in depth into it, but just that, uh, that preoccupation that inability to cut back or quit um, the field to, to need to do it more and more there 's just so many confluent conditions that make these both of these behaviors very very similar so looking again back up to Evergreen Council and seeing what they were doing you know incorporating um, pro- problem gaming video gaming disorder into their um, into their sort of mission or into their strategic plan. Uh, we have done that as well in Oregon, just having started off here in January, but our our board is on board, so to speak, with that. And I think it's really important looking forward for us to address because a lot of the people dealing with these issues are the same people, and they're going to need the same kind of help. And I continue to believe that uh, problem gambling providers are positioned the best of of arguably of any provider to be able to offer those uh, resources and services.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Thank you as well for the great work you guys are doing down in Oregon. We're super excited to get to partner with you on, on things like this podcast, as well as some other things we've got coming up. Um, Yes. Thank you guys a lot for that. Well, you know, speaking of uh, this podcast, I suppose we should cover like, you know, what's the point? Why are, why are we starting to do this? And we've got a list a mile long of all of the amazing topics We want to cover sometime eventually, very, very exciting. So Maureen, tell us a little bit about what you see as the vision for this podcast now in the long run.
2: Well, I think we all know in this day and age and particularly in the last five or six months how things have changed in terms of communication. While digital communication, social networks have been around for some time, I think many of us in the field have still relied on face-to-face communication as our main mode for training, for getting the word out. We're we're social animals. We like to connect. So we've had to learn very carefully how to make some changes over the, the last several months. And just one of those is the idea of this podcast. The podcast is part of a complete package of ways to communicate so that we can reach different audiences through the channels they want most. Some people love podcasts. They give you a lot of freedom to choose what you want to hear about, how long you want to listen, where you want to come back. Some people like to go online to websites or like to go onto live streaming events. We're offering those as well. So we have a complete menu of services that we're now offering so that we can do what one of our primary focus is, and that is education and awareness. If people don't understand the issue or don't know about the issue of gambling and gaming addiction, then that fear often tends to lead to a continuation of misperceptions of stigma, and we want to break those down. So having these great, wonderful, what feel like casual conversations with your friends in your living room or outside on your patio about really important topics and personalizing them, bringing the stories home that, that make it real, that someone's father did have a problem and they grew up with problem gambling in their family, that people are successfully in recovery and having wonderful lives and giving back, these continuum are really important to share with folks so that we can get rid of the misunderstandings and get rid of the fear and just have a conversation about public health and what addiction really means. It shouldn't be frightening. It shouldn't come with stigma. And so that's really the goal here, but to have fun while we're doing it. Right,
0: right. We've talked about one thing we don't want is to have a depressing podcast, right? Like while this stuff is super Aww. important, super, right? super relevant, <laughs> we're all about having fun with this and showing the positive side. We want to have people in recovery on here, sharing their, their stories, things they've overcome. I mean, at the, at the root of all of this is help and hope. And Julie, what was that word you used? edutainment
1: <laughs> edutainment yes I, our online kids are getting a lot of that in in 2020 right. but they're rolling their eyes while they're doing it
0: <laughs> well,
3: hopefully our podcast listeners like will
1: not roll their eyes
0: <laughs> they have to act like they're not enjoying it because it would just not be cool you know yes that's true they, but they... they don't
1: have anyone to look cool to right now so unless it's on zoom <laughs> uh... Your pressure's a whole different monster these days Right, Jeff. Uh, Jeff's got a couple of a couple of uh, kids. What? How old are your kids, Jeff?
3: What? Uh, one that's going to be turning fourteen next month, and another one that uh, is sixteen and just learning to drive. So it's been yes. a scary time a around time. here.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
1: we have two drivers who probably should never meet one another: Tazio and, and Kira, my daughter. Um, and, and do you talk with them about, about this issue about gaming, gambling? Uh,
3: yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I do just to, to try to figure out, you know, what the school, what they're learning in school, if they ever talk about, um, gambling or if, if they talk about gaming and, um, uh, you know, often what I find out is that's pretty much a neglected topic. And, and then when attempt, uh, we had career day where, um, Tazio was able to, uh, and his classmates to bring a parent in to talk about what they do, and I didn't even make the cut, you know. So, <laughs> <it's- Aww.
1: laughs> wow, this really like exemplifies our redheaded stepchild of a- redheaded stepchildren in addictions, right? I mean, the fact that Jeff Barada didn't make the cut.
3: Yeah, well, uh, I think the name Jeff Barada means very little uh, around that high school where my son goes, but. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I think it um, does point out that it's really difficult in our field. You know, we do not have the, the perfect poster child or the perfect sexy symbol for gambling addiction. The people aren't coming out of the woodwork to say, I've been in rehab. We, we know a lot about celebrities who've been in drug and alcohol yes. rehab. We don't know a whole lot about celebrities who've been in rehab for gambling addiction. So it's really hard to get the the sports figures or the celebrities or the folks that would get people's attention to tune in. So sometimes we have to work a lot harder to get our message across, or like Jeff said, we're just not chosen for the team. and We're on the playground, but we don't get to play. So it's
1: kind the of last sad. Last picked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And Maureen, that really goes back to something you said earlier, and that's about stigma, right? So this issue is something that still has so much stigma where I think a lot of people just are, are still kind of really reticent to kind of get or hesitant to get out and say, look, I've, I've been dealing with a gambling disorder and it's very similar to these other things. And, you know, be sort of a influencer, so to speak. We don't, we don't really have that, that really celebrity. I mean, I would love for Charles Barkley or Michael Jordan or somebody else, you know, to just come out and I'm not trying to diagnose them, but just to say like, I've been, I've been dealing with this gambling problem. Charles Barkley says it's not a problem because I have enough money basically. So, you know, <laughs> it, it, it goes back to that. So I, I'm hoping with this podcast and, and that's one of our future topics is stigma is that we're able to kind of help get this issue a little bit more out of the woodwork.
2: Right. right, And I think for people to understand exactly that, that it's not necessarily about the money. You could have a lot of money and still have a, a gambling problem. You could have no money and not have a problem. So I think the way the media has portrayed people who have gambling addiction, the way we in historically, um, it's, it's a sin. It is bad. It is immoral. It's not seen as a public health issue or You know, you certainly don't judge someone who has come down with any kind of major illness. Well, mental health. Let's face it, folks, we're starting to learn and we're starting to get that recognition. But mental health is also a public health issue. It's not a morality issue. And so I think that's really a wonderful area we're starting to break through. And I'm, I'm really excited about what will the next decade bring in advances to our understanding of that. The neurobiology is amazing. And I hope you guys will have somebody like a John Grant on at some point, because I think the brain information is so fascinating to people. We don't understand our brain that well. And when somebody like a Dr. John Grant can explain it in layman's terms, it becomes just a fascinating topic. Super, super yeah. fascinating.
1: Here, here, And we've got a bunch of people that, you know, that we've thrown around as far as ideas. There's a wonderful people in this field. We have a small, but mighty field. And there are some really renowned, um, just really experts in certain certain areas. So we really hope to bring you as listeners uh, on board with with a lot of these guests.
0: And I think one of the things this podcast may serve to do is even for people that are giving gambling disorder some um, attention or awareness or advocacy, we'll often talk about it like it's the third leg of a stool and the other two are mental <laughs> health and substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. But really... It's just part of the other two and substance use disorder is just part of mental health. They're all in what the DSM yep. diagnostic statistical manual of mental health disorders, right? Like they're all part of one and the same. And as humans, we don't get separated out into nice little boxes. So I think being able to have the conversation about how it all is interwoven and all part of a human a human issue that is out there and treatable no stigma we're all just humans as me and my husband say we're all just meatballs lost in the sauce of life
2: yeah <laughs> Wow That's well, profound. and I I think if we bring it down to that meatball level you know you don't really care if your spouse I, I come from a history of addiction in my family um, and I married someone with addiction. If you're the spouse or you're the child of, or you're the parent of someone who is suffering with addiction, you don't care whether it's the third leg of the stool, part of the stool, the seat of the stool. You don't care if it's 2% of the population, 1% of the population. All you know is that you and your family are hurting. People you love and care about are hurting. And when somebody is hurting it is our responsibility to help and i think that's the the crucial part here is let's humanize it let's bring it down to the level that we don't worry about is it more important than something else or not if somebody's hurting let's help them or help them find the help they need and i think that's very true of the family members as well we often think about the person suffering from the disorder But more and more, we really need to think about the children who grew up with addiction mm-hmm. in the, with their parents, the spouses who are dealing with it, the domestic violence that sometimes comes with it, there are so many issues for family members, and if there 's stigma for the individual, imagine what the family member's going through they don 't even know where to turn for help they don 't know help is available, and they 're not sure that they 're not so ashamed that they can 't even ask for help, so we need to get past that for the family members as well, and that to me is a really strong personal issue i want to see us work on absolutely
1: yeah here here especially now that we're in the middle of this pandemic i think it's highlighted a lot of different things like that we've we've heard more anecdotal stories around domestic violence Um, i have a friend who is a, a police officer in a city in oregon who's been talking just about the number of calls she's been on that have to do with that and and you wonder what those underlying issues are as well right you mentioned domestic violence but underneath the domestic violence we often hear about substance use disorder and alcohol use disorder what about gambling so there's a lot, I think, that to unpack, and, and um, to your point, Maureen, there's, there's a lot that we can really do to help magnify this issue and hopefully increase awareness in a, in a way that's healthy and you know, interesting for people.
2: So, so what's up of... next? This is, this is an introduction. What's, what's up yeah. on the agenda coming up for you guys as hosts of the podcast, Julie and Tana? Oh, gosh. Well, up. I just want to
1: make a quick plug. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're going to have her on as a guest, but I want to make a quick plug for a dear colleague and friend in Oregon. Her name is Rhonda Hotofy, and Rhonda has been working on the issue of Problem Gambling Awareness Day every September 29th. For the past, this will be 25 years now, and uh, she came to this issue because her brother, Bobby, died by suicide in 1995, is connected to his gambling addiction and ever since then uh, since 1995 she developed an organization called oregonians for gambling awareness organization has been very passionate about this issue and has talked about someone who has passion and just hasn't left it i mean if anything her 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 feel to help people has increased over the years and so um I just want us to remember, if we're not going to have Rhonda as a guest, or we are, that September, 20, September 29th is Problem gambling, Gamblers Awareness Day. And uh, on behalf of Rhonda, I hope everyone can just just take a break on that day to think about their own gambling behavior, the, that of others. And and if, uh, if it's a problem to, to cut back, maybe there's a, an issue and maybe there's opportunity to, to go get help. And we have help in both of our states that help across the country to deal with gambling addiction, not just among the person with a problem, but to Maureen's point also, the people impacted. And so what answer, is up next?
0: So, oh gosh, we've, we've got the whole rest of the year planned and pretty much all of next year planned as well. Just maybe not. Maybe That's Maureen
1: Greeley ordered, right there. <laughs>
0: ordered, Yeah, probably not. Uh, we've got prevention, recovery, stigma and addiction, gaming disorder, summing up all of this 2020 chaos, whatever you want to call it, as well as you know, covering COVID and stress and holidays and self care, some of our favorite moments from 2020. Uh, we've got myths and facts about games and what is PGAM and social justice and culture and Gen Z with gaming and gambling neurotransmitters in the brain and a whole bunch of cool stuff. Uh, thank you, Maureen and Jeff, both for well, if you could see me, air quotes, being here with us today, since we're all in our <laughs> separate locations. So thank you for making the time to do this with us and really looking forward to most likely having you both back again sometime in the future for more topics.
1: Here, here.
3: Well, it's been an honor being part of the launch episode of uh, Connections, the podcast. And so I um, so appreciate it very much having, having me on.
2: And I agree. I think that we have in Julie and Tana, just fantastic hosts. So very excited that this launch is happening and looking forward to seeing where it goes in the future. So thank you for letting me participate in the first episode. Thanks so much,
1: you both for your expertise and for sharing with us today. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our very first podcast.
0: And let's make a couple of announcements for you. Because of this pandemic, both of us and our teams and partners have been working hard to convert all of our face-to-face programs and trainings into a digital format. ECPG moved our big annual conferences and all of our workshops online. And we changed the format from full in-person days to half days online and we'll be bringing you all the same great presenters, the hottest topics, you'll get opportunities to tune in monthly now, right from home. We also have really cool engaging activities and art showcases and networking lounge, some pretty cool stuff. You can sign up for one day or all three, and if you get the all access package, then you can also have access to the recordings from any sessions you didn't get to attend. You can view all the details and register for the first one coming up in October, the October mid-month training on our website, evergreencpg.org.
1: We're doing trainings too. In Oregon, uh, we don't have as much going on as you all have up in Washington State, but we do have some good trainings that we're also converting. Uh, we have uh, September and October trainings that are series two-hour events uh, with world-renowned speakers that in a variety of different topics, and so you can find that information to register at oregoncpg.org, and you can register, you can still watch all of the recordings on demand at your convenience all the way through mid-November. We're also just wanting to acknowledge that we're in recovery month. It's still September as of this episode, and we just want to acknowledge all the people in recovery as well as Problem Gambler's Awareness Day, September 29th in Oregon. It's the 25th anniversary.
0: Yes. Yeah. And just to give a nod to Julie's trainings down in Oregon, the ones I've attended so far are amazing. And she is kind of single-handedly providing all the organization, marketing, tech support, all of that for it. She's doing Great. And also other things that we've been doing online because of, you know, broad gesture to everything going on in our lives right now is a live streaming event called ECPG Live. We do one to two times a month. It is streamed on Facebook and YouTube. You can find it on our website or just Google Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling ECPG Live. It'll come up right for you.
1: Awesome. Again, we would so much appreciate you guys listening We're I'm assuming that we have more than one listener in our first podcast, Tana, oh but we really appreciate it. We've got a maybe long two. list of maybe two, maybe three. three. <laughs> well, are, are we including or excluding us? It just depends. Anyway, we, we're really happy that you're here joining us, that you listen to our inaugural podcast. We've got a long list of exciting topics on the menu for this. So please hit subscribe, smash that subscribe button and give us some ratings and listen to the next one. We can't wait.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find us on the ECPG website at evergreencpg.org,
1: also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And in Oregon, you can find us at the OCPG website at oregoncpg.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And please know that if you or a
0: loved one is seeking help with problems caused by gambling, you are not alone. Help is available. And here's where we're going to give you some resources. If you are in Washington, you can call the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline 24 Call or text 1-800-547-6133, or you can chat through our website evergreencpg.org on your computer, phone, or tablet.
1: And if you're from Oregon, you can contact the Oregon Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7 by calling 1-877-MY-LIMIT. That's 1-877-695-4648. Or you can head to Oregon Problem Gambling Resource website at OPGR.org. There you can get resources, chat, and text. Help is available for the person struggling with gambling as well as anyone affected by gambling.
0: Join us next episode and stay, stay connected.
1: connected.